Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity. I'm Ellie Stuhler. Joining us in conversation today from the pod at White City Place, James Greenfield and Aaron Taylor Harvey, who stopped by while he was in town from San Francisco. Aaron is the Executive Creative Director of Environments, the in-house architectural and interior design team at Airbnb. Aaron founded the team with his wife, Rachel, in 2014 after three years of independent practice. Their first project was the reinvention of a call center in Portland. And since then, Airbnb has opened 15 new office spaces all over the globe. Environments is also responsible for the design of large-scale events and most recently, an 8,000-person, three-day happening in downtown Los Angeles called Open. James is the creative director and co-founder of London-based branding agency, Koto. They work with businesses of all scales, from startups to the world's biggest brands, including Coca-Cola, Sonos, and of course, Airbnb, focusing on the intersection of brand and digital. Previously, James was executive director at Design Studio, who were responsible for Airbnb's much-lauded rebrand. On the agenda, the balance between a creator's vision and a client's brand, Airbnb as a tech company that's really trying to get you to disconnect, and architecture as design versus real estate. When I first encountered you, you were part of a team, the design studio team that was rebranding Airbnb. And I think it's interesting to start here because I think both of us were kind of outsiders in this tech company. And the reason I asked you to join me today was because there was like a kindred spirit moment that we had that has like continued on over the years. How did it feel for you when you guys first walked into that place and were kind of given this remit and like looked around at this world that you had suddenly found yourself surrounded in? I think Silicon Valley holds an increasing amount of intent within media in terms of people's interest in it and in terms of the dominance. And I think you could argue that it's watched itself come from the middle of a newspaper to the front page slowly over time. And I think at that period in time, back in 2013, when I think we first met, maybe 2014, was that I, f I found a situation that increasingly I was really fascinated by these companies, but I couldn't quite necessarily put my finger upon it. And it was obvious that they were starting to shape more than how we used our phones, that actually they were pulling out to much bigger, broader themes. And I think we had, in the process of pitching for that work, kind of started to scratch the surface, but we didn't really have a, a true understanding of kind of how a Silicon Valley company operated, what its kind of pros and cons were, kind of, you know, what even it felt like to walk into this place where there was obviously a lot of people doing a lot of stuff, but obviously you, you only see the thin end of the wedge from the outside, which is maybe like an iOS app or some other kind of aspect of the brand. And so in a way, it was like, okay, the inside is almost 10 times more interesting than the outside because you're understanding everything that they want to work on as much as what they have worked on. I also say as well, back then, obviously, the company was a much smaller scale, and so therefore, I was surprised at its kind of familial environment and the fact that, you know, on the, one of the first Fridays we were there, everyone got together, drinks were opened. Those were the days. Those were the days. Drinks were opened, and I had to stand up on stage and 
come up with a collective fun fact for the whole company, which was uh, intimidating, but also nice to see. There was like a human side to it. Did, and what about the process of developing the, the rebrand? Was it similar to the kind of process you guys would have done with another company? Or was it, I don't know, the, the level of engagement from the outside seemed pretty high. The amount of content you guys produced and the process of like coming to a final logo identity all the rest of it the whole picture of, of what airbnb was going to become seemed like amazing to me but was that a kind of a typical process i don't think you can ever reflect upon an individual or a team practice beyond your own to that extent because even though i've had exposure to working in quite a few other london studios maybe i've always been part of that process on some small scale so therefore a generation has always been in kind of involved from myself from kind of my own angle i think i, I am reflective enough to know that we make a lot because i think Teamwork and iteration are two of the most important parts of branding. Uh, and I think the the kind of the 60s art to the kind of maybe the millenniums, particularly kind of in visual graphics, you had the idea of the creative leader as hero and then everyone else as kind of support staff. And I actually think since the millennium, it's been much more about the team and the kind of effort it takes and the skill sets that means to get these kind of big scale projects. I think there was definitely an intimidation based upon one simple fact that Every other large Silicon Valley company that was shaping our future had chose to rebrand themselves internally, either by bringing people in or building custom teams or with kind of incumbent kind of teams that were already in place and knew it. And here was us kind of five youngish guys from London, not from San Francisco, flying in to kind of like work at the top of the level of the company with two of the founders and take a lot of their time. And so therefore, I think we had to respect that process and create a lot. You know, I'd throw the same question back at you and say, from an, I know that when you first started working with Airbnb, you had your own practice, and obviously over time they took you in. But do you feel like it changed your way in terms of the amount you generated and your kind of storytelling and things like that? Yeah, I mean, what our first project there, I think when you first encountered me, I probably like had some sort of apron on and was like using a hand tool of some kind. I mean, our first job there was to build, it's so modest considering what it's become, but it's kind of crazy, was to build six models, right? Six scale models that were all in suitcases and they were called the mini listings. And what happened was like we had been doing small scale interior projects and all commercial work. We hadn't been doing any custom homes or anything. We got connected to Airbnb and all there was... I mean, maybe it is in a way kind of like a brand, like we want to rebrand, but what does that mean? You know, there was this idea of like, Brian wanted to make mini listings, but what does that mean? And so the process we went through was unlike any process we'd ever done before, because I mean, hey, in school, I was like a digital guy. I was not a big model maker. And two, like we had never taken on like an art project as a team. Like that was really like an art project. And so we actually proposed sort of like the one thing that's really similar with you guys is we said, we want to come in and like take over a piece of your space and make that like the home of this project. And then for you guys, it was like a project room that was covered with content. And like you went in there and it was this immersive thing for us. We like built a workshop in the middle of the floor plate because at that point the building was too big for the company. So there's actually space for that. And we bought a 3D printer, we hired two extra guys, 
And the whole pitch for us was like, this is going to be an interactive experience that your employees are going to have watching these models get built. And it's going to bring a kind of physical making into a space that's used to just thinking about a digital product. And I think that it actually worked. And it, and I liked Airbnb from the second we were there, but I wouldn't say that the intention was that we were like seeding, you know, an in-house team with that. I didn't think it would result in that. But what it did is it it kind of built an identity for us with the people who work there, with the people who, for instance, were in charge of events or the real estate team or whatever. And people became fascinated with what we were doing and wanted to ask us to work on some other things too, you know. And so from there, we got asked to design the first one Airbnb, which was this large in-house event. It was where the new branding was revealed. So, I mean, our kind of stories are really closely aligned because like that was the first time we had made space for Airbnb. And we had never done anything like that. And it was only a couple years later that somebody called it a convention. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that was a convention. But like we thought of it as this like multi-day kind of happening. And I think it felt more like that. You know, it was like 800 people who like couldn't have been more enthusiastic about what they were doing. And then from there, we were asked to design office space. So it was, uh, I don't know. I don't know what it says about that place, but I think because Airbnb is founded by designers, there is a feeling that like if partners are found that have the kind of passion and output that is like satisfactory, they're not really let go of, Yeah. right? Like you just keep getting drawn back in to yeah. keep working I, with us. I think ultimately for me, Airbnb is a meritocracy. I think you can, you have to you have to prove yourself and be shown right. I don't know if you agree with that, yeah. but I also think as well where I think there's a humble aspect, which is don't make it about you as a creative or designer. Don't try and put your vision on top of the company. Understand how your vision or your understanding of it can build up to be part of a bigger picture. Yeah. And I think uh, for us when we were working on the rebrand and then subsequent and subsequent projects we've done with them, is it's always been about how does this build up to this bigger picture and the, the bigger aims of the three founders. And you know, I always feel like a hell of a responsibility with the fact that it's a design company in a lot of people's eyes. And so therefore you are designing for a design company. And I think, you know, a lot of the rest of Silicon Valley is very much seen as engineering companies where design is maybe like a necessary evil, that's maybe a bit harsh, or like an, an aspect that's required. Whereas in this case, I, I sometimes feel like we're... Well, it's seen as the design is the interface for the engineering. It provides, yeah, like, here we have the machine, yeah. you figure out how they're going to touch it. Yeah. So what do you think it means when it's... A, I, that is interesting. I haven't heard that language so much about Airbnb being a design company recently. But when we first started, that was like just like mantra around there i think maybe you're immune to it maybe i still see it a lot like if i pick up something like fast company or forbes or like one of those kind of magazines that seems to be very fascinated with or any publication that seems to be very fascinated with the kind of what's it actually like to be inside kind of that you know this mm. this kind of creative silicon valley company the phrase design company or design thinking well the fact even reference to joe and brian's design education is often brought up i find and yeah. i think it's it is part of that kind of framework with which round the company is discussed. Do you think that it means that if a company that is not explicitly like designing for other people is a design company, does it mean that creative problem solving or like elegant solutions are assumed to be essential to the product instead of like 
just technology being essential? Like, what does it mean for it? I think it's. I think it resonates more because ultimately we're talking about homes or experiences. Yeah, and that's ultimately what we're talking about at this moment in time. You know, you're either going to go and stay somewhere, or you're going to a host is going to take you on some experience that could be like an hour, two hours a day. You know, all of the kind of aspects of that. And so ultimately, I think. Our thinking is getting you on the device to get you off the device. Whereas uh-huh. I think that's Silicon, a nice idea. Whereas I think most Silicon Valley firms want to keep you on the device. You know, and there's a lot of rhetoric written at the moment about manipulation, and you know, there's a lot of kind of regretters out there that are talking about like, you know, oh, I made the like button and I regret it, and all this kind of stuff. You know, <laughs> whereas actually, I think there's an honesty to Airbnb, which has always been about getting people to have more human connections and you know and yeah. everyone's best airbnb stories are always about like a host interaction or an experience or a dinner or something they had like that you know uh, and some of them are kind of like super emotional on the scale and some of them are just actually it was really cool or it had stuff so i've always thought that there's a symbiosis between those kind of two things there which is the fact that the company embraces design actively but also design is ultimately the end whether that's space experience or any of the formats right. of like the, what the end thing we do yeah yeah that's true. And I guess which which will always makes me wonder about what it must be like to design architecture for a company which is about space and design a lot of the time itself. Yeah, I mean, our team would not exist at any other company. That's how I know I work at a design company, right? Like, I mean, there's no... You genuinely think that? Oh, totally. I mean, I know it's true. Right. Like, we go and tour Uber or Google or Facebook or whatever, and... People are always just like, oh, man, it's so cool that you guys have a team like this. And I'm like, you could have a team like this, too, you know. But there's a feeling when architecture is seen as a kind of arm of real estate, you know, or subservient to real estate, then then there's a feeling of like it is almost like just a budget exercise and a necessity to like make space instead of having like higher goal, loftier goals, you know. And we've never reported to real estate, right? We were weirdly for a while under marketing, which didn't make a ton of sense, but basically like any kind of art that was happening in the company was happening in our marketing. So then we got moved to employee experience, but we're always in dialogue with real estate. And I think that that's, again, like a testament to the idea that the company believes in design as its own project and as like something that should exist in a kind of visionary state and then find a middle ground with the kind of monetary realities. So, yeah, I mean, I I know that other companies have architects working for them, but usually they're just sort of like liaisons for the people who actually design the space. They don't they don't get to do the design. Liaison for the big name that's for, going to come exactly. in and make the big building out the back because they're going through incredible growth. Yeah, exactly. How do you feel about the fact that a lot of people never see your buildings? Oh, like the public? Yeah. When I say your buildings, I mean your interiors. Yeah. So you're building within kind of pre-existing structures in the main, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel okay with it. I mean, I think that workspace is, is interesting to design because for the few people who do experience, you know, whatever the, you know, 1500 people or I guess globally the 3000 people who experience the spaces we've designed, they spend so much of their time there. It has such a huge impact on their life that I really am like focused on like, how does, how do they look forward? How do we make a space that they look forward to going to every day? And how is that space meaningful for them and essentially like additive to their life? Which is very different than like a kind of 
tourist like passing through and like ooing and aahing, you know, <laughs> that's not, um, in the end, that's more of like a visual experience. It's not like a lived experience. It's not a, like a multi-dimensional experience. And so in similarly, like we're not trying to design just for photographs, you know, we're not trying to make just sort of like imagery. We're, we're trying to, to create a kind of narrative for people that's sustaining over time. And I think the one time that we did get to do that, where we like moved out of employees really successfully was open, the Los Angeles open, which I will, James knows what it is because he's worked on it. But for those who don't know, it was a host convention in LA. A festival of hosting travel and more. And and, I did the brand. (laughs) And it was the third time we had done it and by far the most ambitious version of it. And it was a, really very like not just sort of open to hosts and guests but open to anyone who walked by in a way and really generous to the city of LA and that was like incredible to see the general public interacting with the space we had designed and getting it and being excited by it you're listening to thought starters with Airbnb's environments design lead Aaron Taylor Harvey and founder and creative director of the design studio Koto, James Greenfield. We designed, the team designed a kind of visual identity system for this festival to make sure that it talks to all four audiences of kind of hosts and guests who are kind of really core component of the Airbnb ecosystem, but then also the locals of LA who didn't feel like this big brand was kind of coming and dumping itself in there, but then also employees as well. So it reflected their own experience of kind of Airbnb. And what was amazing for me was you had the downtown LA, which if you haven't been is quite an interesting area. It's a city kind of section that's gone through a lot of change recently. And LA is not a city that's particularly celebrated its center. I think it's fair to say for many years and kind of left it to rot. And I think it shows the positive, you know, there's a lot of negative stuff written about kind of what, tech companies and what Airbnb maybe can do to certain cities and having kind of like too much effect. I think it showed the positivity of like an area that kind of can be forgotten, brought back to life by something that was kind of so multifaceted. And for you guys as well, like the ability to be able to, you know, you did a lot, but you also didn't do a lot as well, if that makes sense. Like the theatres sung and like the parking lot sung and all that kind of stuff. So was it, how different was it kind of like from obviously jumping out of CAD and into, into real, did it kind of like change your perception of what you thought the scheme was going to be like when you walked into it for the first time? Or did you always visualize well, I mean, it in that way? It's interesting because I had lived, you know, I lived in Hollywood for four years and would go to downtown LA periodically. And the only time that it looked like people lived there was when they were shooting a movie <laughs> and all those people were extras. Yeah. You know, and, and, they and you, again. you'd like walked, you'd, I mean, you'd have this weird experience where you'd go and you'd go, well, it's like, it's really hopping down here. And then you'd see like the crane come up and like, oh, it's not real. Yeah. And like that, that being there and realizing that we had actually filled that place with real people who, you know, were not being paid to be there, but actually paying to be there or just lived in the city and excited to check it out. And it like activated the city and I saw these two locals walking by these like old ladies walking by and this woman said to her friend wow it feels like New York down here and to to make downtown LA feel like Manhattan was like a miracle to me and it really did 
I remember where I was there and I sent Brian a text and I said, this feels like the future. And it, it that's how it really felt to me. It felt like this is like, I'm seeing a vision of what downtown LA could be if it was like re-embraced as a city, a real city. And, and Design is a positive force, right? Yeah. And to believe that like we could like give people a kind of glimpse of an alternate reality for that city was like, it felt like incredible social good. Airbnb or not, I mean, it's really just like, yeah, talk about design. It's like design helping you to sort of use your imagination to kind of picture another another situation, you know? And I think the amazing aspect for me as well was that, it, so at that point, we um, we launched the Experiences product on stage. Well, I didn't, but <laughs> Brian did. But it's something that my team had been working on for nine months. And I think we were also doing the open identity as well. And so therefore, this feeling of from a kind of personal lens, a crescendo of kind of nine months of incredible hard work, working with your team on the kind of scheme and understanding how 2D and 3D could come together and actually truly do that. Because I think quite a lot of designers and architects or 3D designers or however they describe themselves kind of have a little bit of a a propensity to kind of stand against each other a little bit. And I've never really understood why that is or why they feel that, you know, that need to kind of slightly ditch each other's craft. And I think there was a nice moment of like, we both realized that actually the best way to get to this was kind of, realized that we were celebrating LA and it was like via dimension and surface we were going to do that yeah. you know and and that was actually it was a big purpose for being there as well yeah i mean i um there's so many things that work with that like one one of the axioms of architecture is if you have to put up a sign your building has failed especially in the kind of post rem coolhouse era like good buildings should communicate their use to you so like you understand where the auditorium is just by the way the structure is formulated or you understand, you know, what hallway to go down to find the bathrooms or whatever it is. And so I think there is a resistance to like signage or graphics of any kind. But ironically, the result of it is that buildings rarely work that way. And then the graphics come in as this sort of terrible afterthought. Instead Rather of an, than being integrated exactly, from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so it's really not getting better buildings to have architects treated that way. And I think I get that as a kind of purist architect vision. I think the bit that they're forgetting and missing is that, so we've just done a theatre in the identity for a theatre in Tower Bridge, and it's the first commercial theatre in London for 80 years. And I think what's interesting about working on a project like that is that, yes, the theatre itself has a purity and like the architecture is really quite amazing in, in the interior architecture. But the identity of the building has to live on every poster across London and has to live in the newspaper and has to live on social media and has to live in news reports and has to live on merchandise and all these other places. And the building, whether it wants to be or not and whether the architects want it to be or not, is is part of that brand. And so therefore, I guess the way that I visualize it is if I'm talking about something completely new and it's like, you know, where we're sat in White City right now, you want to bring people to the place. So you have to talk about the place in a way before they come here. And so therefore, you have to think about it holistically like that. And I feel like sometimes architects have this kind of such clarity about the building that they've forgotten about the rest of human consciousness (laughs) and what takes them to the building. And uh, I think it's a bit of a shame in our process of kind of being two people that didn't know each other and then our teams kind of working closer together and then us kind of like on our own time anecdotally talking about process and stuff like that is the use of other people's work to help the people we're working for 
I guess, have their articulation filled so they have an understanding of the broader sense of where we see our designs fitting into. Mm. How do you think your kind of opinion of that's changed over time? Because I remember when we first met, which is kind of like three, four years ago now, you were quite purist in that, that you were kind of like wanted to make sure that you, I don't know, maybe I read that wrong, but like a bit more of a singular vision and you, you want, what assessment you made when we were doing the rebrand of Airbnb was that we would often use touch points of kind of popular culture and other branding and other kind of visual design or even architectural design to help steer the people kind of through the process. Yeah, I don't know. I still feel conflicted about it. I do remember that conversation. I was really struck by your guys' comfortability with showing other work, you know, and and letting that reference be part of the conversation. And you guys have a process that's like fascinating to me where it's like so much content it's so much stuff. Like, we make a lot of slides and stuff, but they are all, we build them all. You guys will just be like, and then there's this, and there's this. This is one way you could do neon. This is another way you could do neon. This is not neon, but it looks neon. neon. This is glow in the dark. This is backlit. Like, it's just like all, like, back at all this stuff. And it kind of like, to me, it's a sort of education to the client to just say, like, you know, we might say something, you might say something, but these are all the ways that thing might permeated in the world you know this is how it might happen for us with architecture like you don't want to echo something too closely and it's i think part of it is because of that time span like these cycles are kind of long you assume you build something it's going to be up for 10 or 15 years or whatever and you kind of want it to exist on its own and yes it is in dialogue with the world around it, but you don't want it to feel like it's too reflective of any particular moment. I mean, that's certainly my goal. Yeah, I, I think we have that as well. Like, you know, the, using the reference at hand, the Airbnb logo is designed to be as timeless and iconic, hopefully, as the swoosh and the right. Apple. You know, it's just the rest of the way that we visually communicate that brand, which has many modes, whether that's the ephemeral kind of chip paper mode, which is like we're making an event graphic and we just want it to have a very particular purpose where we are much more kind of referential and kind of maybe a bit more kind of like finger on the pulse in that versus the kind of big stuff like, you know, how you communicate kind of like the purpose of the company or all that kind of stuff. And so I think we have two modes a lot more, whereas I think architecture, you know, is you kind of, you're laying it down and so therefore you've got to be pretty sure about it, whereas there is a disposability to an aspect of what we do. Yeah, so I guess one thing that has really changed, like we did something recently, I think I told you about this, I'd never done it before, where we made like... Um, a Tinder style uh, photo quiz to just like get a kind of like quick response around architectural style. And so it was like, I was going to say hot or not, but that is not a reference that people have anymore. Maybe you guys remember hot or not, but uh, the, they see an image and they could say yes, no, or neutral to it. And it was nothing we had made, but it was a bunch of architecture, but it was all within like a really kind of limited mode, limited material, limited kind of scale and it was just a way to kind of whittle down, like, what's interesting to you? Let's hope Brian and Joe don't listen to this. But I think they probably they probably feel okay about that, right? Yeah. Like, they, they want you to be excited about it, but they also want to be aligned with you. And that felt like a nice way to sort of... I think we're both respectively lucky that we have a client, and even though yours is an internal client now, still ultimately a client sure. kind of relationship, where we've managed to build trust up with them to a level that means that we can expose them to an, maybe a more open or an iterative process that you wouldn't traditionally get in a kind of client and agent or 
architectural practice kind of relationship. A lot of people will always have that distance between them and it's kind of, they build to that presentation theatre moment and it either soars and flies or it crashes and, right. you know, that kind of, that is always that kind of break point in any large kind of visual or architectural project. And I think in a way we've tried to look to shorten that distance using methods like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a nice, but that's actually one of the strongest arguments for the way that you guys approach it is that by showing someone a lot of options and a a lot of ways things can go, they don't become obsessed with like fixing something that they didn't like. You know, it could be like this, but it also could be like this. It also could be like this. And they and they can just sort of have, like, an emotional gravity towards, like, whatever of those elements speak to them and not feel under pressure themselves. I mean, so I think that sometimes clients, whether they be the ones we have now or any ones that you might have in the future, have a kind of anxiety when they see something that feels too finished. Like, it feels too wrapped up. Yeah. And they start to, like, panic a little bit, right? And so, like, as a designer, you have to... Be careful not to present, even though you know you still got a lot more to think about. You need to make sure that somehow you're portraying that there's a lot more to think about. Because we've definitely been in that problem where I've been just really excited about something and I've showed something. And I don't think of it as a finished product, but it's hard for them not to perceive it as a finished product because that's all I'm showing them. Right? You you need to kind of dictate where you are along the journey and say to them that, you know, this is kind of... 24% 24% done or whatever it's almost, <laughs> almost like you need okay yeah a loading bar on the bottom that says like you know this is how far right. we've got to go in future. Yeah. one of the things that environments my team is starting to get into a little bit is to touch on the product experience and starting to think about how do you design a set of standards or a kind of guidebook for people to create a kind of experience in their own home so we're not saying like you need this piece of furniture and you know this nightlight or whatever but instead sort of like we do in work like try to help people understand the user narrative that's likely to happen as the person goes from like you greeting them to staying the night to checking out and how do you make the different pieces of that narrative a more designed experience in a house so that it you know it feels effortless in a lot of ways like this is Hotels do this, but the trade-off with hotels is a, is a kind of soullessness. So how do you maintain the kind of like quirk and charm of staying in someone's home, but have less effort in sort of making the home work for you? To me, it is it is really an interior design struggle and problem, and it's an interesting thing to think about. It's an interesting thing to think about scaling across cultures and all that. And that that's sort of the beginning of our team moving out of employee space or event space and into something that is a little more essential to the product experience i think it ladders up to a a, a more interest well not more interesting and a bigger kind of topic which is this kind of journey that any company goes on that essentially starts in a mode of disruption which is you disrupt uh, a sector you then create something that stands very far apart from the incumbent in this case hospitality offers and you attract a kind of early adopter mindset people that are willing to try a new thing you know, you then expand off the back of that, it gets bigger and bigger. And as you bring more and more people in and the percentage of kind of like the population of kind of key parts of the world or big parts of the world get engaged with this thing, their expectations of what it is becomes more and more. And ultimately, you end up moving closer to the thing that you disrupted in the first place. And my genuine belief is the only thing that can keep the clear space between the established hotel brands who've been doing the same thing for 100 years and Airbnb is design. And I think it is literally the one thing, and that's whether that's product design, industrial design, 
uh, you know, partnership design, whatever it is, I think design is the thing that will keep the clear space that will mean, you know, because regardless of whatever initiatives those incumbent hospitality providers deliver, it won't have the same authenticity and thought. And so I think that'll be the challenge for us as we move forward. Yeah, there's an amazing, amazing potential in thinking about housing, permanent housing that's designed to be Airbnb'd, you know, and, and what does that really look like? It's, it's, a, it's a new kind of model, you know, it's a, this shared home model where it's not like anyone, it still belongs fundamentally to one person, but hosting the whole system the whole place, whole construct is built around hosting. I think it's like really exciting to imagine what that, that future looks like. That was Airbnb's Environments Design Lead, Aaron Taylor Harvey, and Founder and Creative Director of Koto, James Greenfield. This has been Thought Starters, recorded at the pod at White City Place. Thought Starters is a DN Co. project for White City Place, produced by David Michon, recorded by George McDonough, and edited by Claire Crofton. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at whitecityplace.com or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at White City Place, or shoot us an email at podcast at whitecityplace.com. And subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes. Give us a rating or write us a comment. It really helps. We'll see you next time.